Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster, a managing partner of Invader Comics and the writer of both Kadoja and Three Protectors. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers of Melisanda for the Accidental Aliens. Yeah, you are. That's exactly who you are. All day, even if it rains. Drinky drink. What what are you drinking? Drinkity drink. I'm drinking something that you gave me when you were down here. This is Imagination mm-hmm. Wavelengths. It is a double Indiana pale ale. It is a papaya milkshake, New England style uh, double IPA. So okay, this this is the one that I thought you might like. Yeah, yeah. Have you have you tried it yet? I am smelling it. it smells very good. That's a good beer. That's nice. a good beer. It has nice. that smooth aftertaste that the milkshake tends to have, um, but I can definitely taste the double IPA. Uh, but I'm not mad at it. This is pretty good, man. I like this. Thank you for this. Awesome, man. Yeah, I, I believe that's one of those beers. You know, a lot of times when I get you beers, I get myself two, right? I get two, and then you <laughs> get one. Uh, that is one where I got one, and I wanted to give it to you. So, oh, uh, right on, man. I, I, I don't it. know what that one tastes like, but uh, but it, it had your name all over it and, you know, papaya and lactose and milkshake and all kinds of lovely, lovely things. So I am drinking something that's quite good. I'm, I'm a man of my word um, unless I change my mind. And then I'm still a man of my word. I've only just changed my mind 180 degrees. But it was uh, 88 degrees Fahrenheit today in Southern California. And I am drinking a motherfucking stout. Because that's my new world, brother. I'm not waiting till winter for stouts. And I'm drinking something that's really good. I had it once, and I figured I'd celebrate it again. This is the Coffee Coconut Stout. Uh, it's fantastic. It's a toasted coconut, milk sugar, Peruvian coffee from Zoe's Cafe, whoever that is, and natural flavors added. It does not have a fancy name. It's just called Coffee Coconut Stout. And it's from Weldworks. It's very, very good. I already had one of these the other night. And uh, and speaking of buying two beers through Tavor, this is the second one. So I'm going to enjoy this while you talk about the first thing that you did this week. Well, the first thing I did, I would say the most important thing is I have another issue, or not another issue, I wish, uh, another page is down on Wanderers 3. I actually only have one and a half pages left to do. So I'm kicking some ass right now. I am going to attempt to finish the next two panels tonight. We'll see how that goes. And uh, I'm, tr- I'm really trying to beat this May 18th deadline that I have, um, you know, for myself. I counted the panels out. If I followed my panel a day rule, it would land me on May 18th. So I'm really trying to get it done before then. So that means I'm working a little quicker than that one panel a day, is, which was the goal initially. It was like one and a half panels a day. Unfortunately, that just hasn't come to fruition but some days some days it works out some days i'm working a little quicker so i'm going i do two panels or three panels so even though i'm not getting that panel a half a day it might be averaging around there so just just me working ahead and like like we've talked about before some days you work ahead so you can you know because you might get behind on a couple of days like the weekends or whatever Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, case in point, while it's not my first thing, I've done a lot of that these last couple days. And that's because um, we'll get to this in in one context or another, that I have a lot of things that I really want to do. And I also had some activities that I wanted to do. Um, We're recording this on a Thursday. And on the Tuesday, I decided to treat myself, which we talked about before, to a second showing of Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. So I knew I had to work ahead. 
And uh, and I knew that on Sunday. So I did my best to work ahead Sunday. I did my best to work ahead Monday in a couple different avenues so that I could feel really good about myself going to um, this movie. And then I had the on a similar thing. I also had a concert last night that I went to. And so same thing. I, I worked ahead. So that when I got in my car to go to that concert, and even when I found a local microbrewery right near the concert venue and threw back some beers while I was watching the end of a basketball game, um, I felt great. You know, like I earned this. And and maybe that's something we talk about more in depth at a later date. But, you know, Scott and I, uh, I think we've we've come out and said this, but uh, it's it's also maybe we have, maybe it hasn't been a while, but like we're work, work, work kind of people. Or Rihanna, we're work, 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 <laughs> right? We, we, we have a guilt, right? Uh, I, I don't even know if it's, if it's joy as much as it is guilt, because we're the kind of people that if we sit around and do something, you know, you're thinking like somebody else just drew a page right now. Somebody else just did this. Somebody else just did that. And I think on some level that's healthy, but I also think that that way lies madness if you get a little too wonky with it, you know, like... You should enjoy your life. You should create um, and do all the other things you need to do. But, you know, you get to enjoy life, too. You get to go to concerts and you get to hang out with friends and you get to go have a nice dinner with your lady uh, or your man or whoever. You know, you get to do all these things that make life enjoyable. And um, and something I'm trying to do a little bit more is get away from that guilt factor and just say, hey, here's these things that I wanted to do today. And once I do them, well, then it's my time. You know, like I've worked hard. I've done a lot of things I wanted to do. I've made those strides. I can go to bed at the end of the day knowing that I did this thing or these things. And, uh, you know, you get to enjoy life, too. Yeah, absolutely. And it definitely is a guilt thing for me. I know if I'm not working, I feel guilty that I'm not working. And, um, uh, yeah, everything you just said is spot on. It's like the times that I'm not drawing a page, someone else is. Someone else is drawing, too. So I hate that feeling. I don't like being left behind. I like to make sure that I am progressing at the speed and the manner in which I want to. And and the days where I'm slacking off, I I feel it. Uh, But Mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. We do need that time to, you know, take a day. You know, if you want to go watch a concert, watch a movie, whatever it is, you're allowed to do that. And that's fine. But, you know, make sure you're getting that work done. Uh, on those other days work ahead you know you have a couple of days of slacking off coming work work even harder the day before or work harder the day afterwards just make sure you're getting that work done because if you don't no one else is going to do it for you that that book that you've been wanting to show the world and share with the world isn't going to happen if you are not doing it at some point so just make sure you're staying on task uh, in between those fun aspects of your life yeah yeah and i mean a couple couple random notes on this right i've thought of both of these well, one I just thought of right now, but one I thought of maybe today or yesterday earlier, um, something that I tell my kids a lot, and I may have mentioned it on the podcast before, earn your lazy. That's that's uh, that's the phrase that I actually say to my kids or used to say to them. There are a couple of them are out of the house now going to college, but you know, you have the right to earn your lazy. You, you get to be lazy, but just earn it. And then, you know, to what we were just saying, then you feel pretty good about it because you're doing stuff, you know? Um, and, and, you know, just... I didn't intend for this to be a kind of postscript note on what we were talking about last week with persistence, but, you know, working is important and just getting that stuff done is important and, and sticking to your goals is important again at, without driving yourself into a crazy place. And something that I thought of, uh, you know, again, recently is that 
there are, I, you know, in, in almost everything I've been in, so like these novel writing classes I've been in, I don't think I've ever been the most talented writer in the group. I've seen some writers just stop writing their novel and uh, I don't hear from them anymore. And like, that's a bummer. But, you know, you got to keep working at it, too. Like, this stuff is hard. It takes time. You know, both writing a novel, which I talk about sparingly, and making comics, which we talk about all the time. They're, they're grinds, man. They take a really long time to do. Do the work. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy life. And, uh, and even if you make a little bit of a pace every day, well, you know, there's a lot of ways we can talk about this. You know, a panel a day, a page a day. You know, what was Gary Hodges' thing way back in the day? If you do a panel a day, you'll end up with like 60-some pages done by the end of the year. Um, that was me. Oh, was it? Okay. Um, Gary, had he, an, yeah. Gary had something else, though, and, and his was something along those lines as well. But yeah, the, uh, the panel a day is, is my thing, um, which in turn, it's Ed Piscor's thing. I actually heard him say it on a, one of his episodes of uh, Cartoonist Kayfabe, but it's something I've really taken to heart and it's something I preach on the daily. Like I make sure, you know, I'm talking to artists I know that aren't, you know, staying on track or, or you know, feel like... Daunt, like a daunting task of creating 22 pages. It's like, yeah. don't think about it as 22 pages. Think of it as one panel a day. It's mm-hmm. not scary. It's not a scary monster if you can do one panel a day. If you don't do that, then yeah, you're going to get behind and then it becomes the scary monster that is the incomplete issue. But as long exactly. as you're staying on pace, you're fine. Yeah, and I mean, again, to to further that point. So let's say let's say you're doing a 22-page comic. And you're doing six panels per. So that's 22 times six. So I think that's 132 days that that would take to do that comic. Okay. In the, here in the indie waters. So that's four months. So like another way to look at it is say, well, yes, it's not, you know, a huge amount of work because I have all these other commitments in life. But, you know, if I just do this one panel a day, then life is going to hold two options in the future. In four months, I'm either going to have a comic or I'm not. So why not have that version out there in four months be the one where you just made a comic, you know? And and all you have to do is just do a little bit in terms of, you know, how these little things yield big benefits as long as you just stick to it, you know? Um, Anyway, so my first thing related to that has to do with uh, kind of this working ahead thing, really, in in that space, which is... I finished lettering Symphony of Madness number one. That was what we had talked about last podcast that, hey, we'd check in, you know, because this was a bit of a short week in terms of recording our podcasts. But uh, yeah, the goal, just like Scott talks about with a panel a day, my goal with the lettering was two pages of lettering a day. And I continued doing this wake up early you know, wake up an hour earlier than you usually wake up, basically. And uh, I lettered with my coffee, uh, which, again, I believe I mentioned last week. And that's the great thing about lettering being so zen. It's not super thought intensive. You know, when I, if I wake up and decide I want to write or edit my novel while I'm drinking that cup of coffee, that's a pretty bold task that I'm taking on there. No pun intended because of the coffee. But <laughs> it's a lot to ask of myself to wake up that fast where you can wake up to lettering. It's it's not a whole lot of thinking. Yeah, it's going to involve some thinking, especially if you are lettering your own stuff as a writer. Um, you know, which which I'll get to in a second in terms of how much I recommend that because I recommend it. But two pages a day is what you start with and then you go more. And I was thinking about this when you were talking about your panel a day. The The best part about lettering sometimes is 
you can get away with a thing um, that you can never get away with in terms of paneling, right? Drawing panels, because you're going to have to draw a panel every day, okay? There's no... There's no hitting the downhill portion of something on your bicycle and putting your feet up and taking your feet off the pedals. Every single drop of that panel that artists out there are making is uh, what they put effort into. So why is this different from lettering? Well, it's different from lettering because every now and then you'll come across a page without words or a splash page where there's maybe five thought balloons because, or, or five uh, dialogue balloons or even three because the point is, you know, as a creator, you want somebody to open up that splash and be blown away. And so you don't want to splash, you know, I don't know, man, this is just one of my policies and maybe I'll change this, but I don't like putting a lot of lettering and stuff in my splashes. Um, I mean, there are plenty of splashes that I've seen out there where there are a lot of them, but for me, it's like, it's one big image. The, the art is the star it needs some words to make you stick on the page. It needs some words to further the plot along. You're obviously doing this page for a plot reason, but I like the art taking the front for these things that are splash pages. Yeah, and it's obviously it's all dependent on what's going on on that page. If it's an action page, then yes, this absolutely holds true. Um, but then you'll have other pages that are splashes, but they're for uh, dialogue purposes, you, you're, you are moving the st story along with that double page splash. Um, I, for instance, I have one off the top of my head. I'm, I'm, I just thought of it right now is uh, Wanderers. I believe it's uh, issue one. In issue one, there's a double page splash. It's uh, a really cool one, in my opinion. And the character uh, Lee is talking to his niece um, about their journey, how they ended up on another planet. And... It's a shitload of dialogue, but it's like, okay, well, we have to let everyone know, hey, how we got here. And that's what that page is. It's like the art's beautiful on it, but it also is a visual element where it's like you can see all the ships leaving the Earth, and then they start colonizing other planets, and you see them uh, meeting the Sardons on uh, Melisanda. So it's it lays it all out, and it's... That page is needed to move the story along, but then you have pages like uh, in my Drawtober project turned fully formed comic where they're like all out brawl scenes. It's people punching each other in the face, and it's like yeah, those ones don't need a lot of dialogue because it is an action scene. the The art is the story in this in that particular case. So yeah, it's all definitely dependent on what's going on in that story. But I hear you. I uh, more often than not, it is an instance where the double page splash is used for excitement, emphasis, you know, fighting and stuff like that. So uh, it all holds yeah. true there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's writer preference, you know, and, and creator preference, obviously, because for me, again, what I'm really talking about is my own writer preference, where if I'm, if I'm building up to something in a splash page, there's probably a reason that I want that on a splash page. And that reason is, look, this is especially about giant monsters and, and Kung Fu in space. So for those kind of things, if I'm doing a splash, there's probably there there is a visual reason I am doing that and I want the art to take the center stage because no doubt the action is is what I am building up to for those things, you know. So again, it's it's writer preference. And now that I've spoken it into existence, maybe I decide to mix it up the next time I write a script with a splash page in it. We'll find out the next time I get there. But uh, yeah. anyway, pretty pretty interesting stuff. But anyway, um, I paced way ahead. So two pages a day of lettering means, and I, and I chose to not do weekends 
because weekends are when I can do other things, you know, like I'm, I'm in no hurry. I was in no hurry to get the book lettered, but doing two pages a day means that in 11 business days, so basically a Monday to the, to two Mondays out the length of, uh, the length of most of my Kickstarters, right? Like Monday, uh, and then, and then 15 days from then, basically, um, 11 business days, um, I'll have a completed letter thing, but I ended up doing it in seven business days. And that's because I had these days where I was like, I'm supposed to letter two pages. Shit, one of them didn't have any any words at all uh, because the point was to tell the story visually and more importantly, have quiet visual moments within the the, the pages as we build to something else and, and kind of hold there for a second. So as a result, like I had one day where I did, you know, six pages of lettering because it was really four pages of lettering. Actually, we were talking about this the other night. It was the, it was the, or we were texting about it. It was the first of these two. Uh, so the Sixers just got eliminated from the playoffs before we were recording this. They went out with a whimper and I didn't watch a minute of it because I somehow knew. Um, I, I decided that I was going to monitor the game and I'd be home in time to watch the third, fourth quarters. And then by the time I got home, they were like down 12 and I'm like, I don't need this shit. So then I wrote <laughs> instead. And, uh, and same thing the other night when they were getting their absolute asses handed to them. I was like, Hey, I'm going to do lettering instead. Fuck this shit. <laughs> so that's what I did. And I lettered a bunch and ended up lettering six pages. You know, two were sort of freebies because of how little dialogue was on there. But you know, the pages are the pages. Yep. No, I was uh, right there with you. I was watching the Warriors play, so you guys don't know me that well. Like My primary team is the Lakers, but I also love the Warriors. My buddy has a season ticket, so we definitely go up there a lot and watch a lot of games. So I love rooting for them when the Lakers are not in contention, and they suck. So <laughs> Warriors it <Yeah>. is. <laughs> as, uh, it, as like example now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so the Warriors really stunk it up the other day. I think they were down uh, 20 at some point in the third. Then I think the game finished with them being down closer to 40 or something yeah, crazy. A buddy told me that the lead was 56 at one point. It was, yeah. <laughs> was like, and oh my God. Uh, that was in the third, and I turned it off. I said, hey, I don't need this shit. And uh, yeah. I got some work done instead. So, yeah. yeah, yay to being productive when our basketball team sucks. So Yeah, get annihilated. And, hey, now I got more free time to be productive because the Sixers are done. So now I can just leisurely watch basketball whenever I want and prioritize work uh, and fun work like I should. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. What was your what was your second thing, man? Uh, So I got a couple of things. Um, First, I did a reorder of some of my second shift issues. I was getting down really low on issues seven and eight, and I think nine was kind of getting there. So I need a little bit of reorder of that one. But seven and eight, I was down to one to two copies per So I needed stuff for our Phoenix Fan Fusion trip, um, which is upon us as of the release of this podcast, I believe. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. And and so um, I did some reorders of those in Wanderers 1 and 2. And, you know, Wanderers 3 is coming to a close very soon, which means I have to do a Kickstarter for it. And I usually offers issues one and two when when doing the new issue so i wanted to make sure i had enough of that for the conventions and if not i just do a reorder with my printer at the same time that issue three is coming out so um it's all about getting those numbers right but i definitely wanted to make sure i had enough books in hand enough in stock for these next couple of conventions that are coming up and they're coming up quick so uh gotta have those so uh, got those in today they look great as usual and uh, my girlfriend was asking, she's like, so how can you tell this is like another printing of it? And I had to let her know. I was like, look, indies are a little different in the sense that this isn't a second printing yet. 
because I usually order 100 copies at a time. So when I start to run out or I do run out, it's just like, okay, I'll do 50 more or something like that. And, you know, so it's like a limited amount. So I feel like when I get to a certain quantity, that's when I'll really consider it to be a second printing. This is just a reorder of the first printing. So, mm-hmm. um, and when I do have a, a second printing, it's going to be a different cover. So, yeah. you know, it's like if you have the, you know, like if you open it up and the Indicia says first printing, it's the first printing because it has this cover. Once the cover changes, that's when I'll consider it to be a second printing. So uh, just a weird little indie thing that, um, I don't know, I had to clue her in on. And I don't know that many other people know that either. It's just like, when do you consider a second printing? Yeah, I mean, I think I think bookstore, uh, a lot of book publishers follow rules similar to you. Because what they'll do is they'll care, they care about editions and they don't care about printings. So like first edition is the one that matters even if it goes to a second printing. I believe that's how it works. Obviously, if you want to get super hardcore, like when you get something that's very, very, very popular, like a novel I just finished called Station Eleven, you you go into deep deep cut shit like that, you know? Um, we were talking about, I think, um, hey, get ready to drink party people. Me considering buying Star Wars number one, the original Marvel comic. And, dude, there's so many editions of that. There's There's different printers... There's all these little wonky things. There's articles on it for you to figure it all out. Because the yeah, first there's like the issues. twenty-five cent edition. Yeah. There's a thirty-five cent edition. Exactly. There's there's two different printers on the first edition. Then I guess there were reprints without the bark. There was a reprint with the barcode on the cover, and then a reprint much later, like five ten years ago, without a barcode on the cover. So all all that delight is waiting for you if you want to search for it on the internet right now. Um, hey, speaking of getting ready, though, I don't know if I'm going to um, sell these at the show or anything. It depends on if the book comes in. Did you back the master tier on my Kickstarter? I think you did, right? I did, yes. Can you see? This is the sticker sheet, man. Oh, yeah. It looks cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool, right? Yeah, very cool. So so it's just a couple cutouts of uh, some action scenes that you can, like, peel off and stick somewhere if that's what you want to do, a la, like, color forms, Right. Like that's sort of what they remind me of, um, that you can just peel them off and do whatever you want with them. So anyway, yeah, yeah you're I'm, one of the people that backed that tier and I, I got them in. I, again, I'm ordering all my stuff. I am very much hoping it's going to be like down to the day, dude, on whether I get the um, the three protectors books here in time for Phoenix fan fusion. Like it's going it, to they might show up the day we're leaving. Uh, I wonder if you could um, if they do get here after they leave, I wonder if. Like maybe Rachel can mail them to Gary or something. You know what I mean? Or the wherever the heck we're staying. So, yeah, I'd have to. Th- I'll think about it. You know, yeah. at that point, you're probably paying like fifty five bucks oh, to ship true. books to yourself, and you're you're p- pissing your margin away. You know? Yeah, that's true. Uh, speaking of uh, tight deadlines, I'm running to a bit of an issue with Wanderers Three as well. So it is as the as of this recording, it is May twelfth. Um, Comic Con is at the end of July. So I usually do Kickstarters for my book. So if I want to do a Kickstarter for Wanderers and have it out by Comic-Con, I'm going to have to do a Kickstarter by the end of this month. Yeah. So it's going to be like, I've been thinking about it the last few days, like how tight everything is going to be. The art is almost done. The, the Zipatones are, have not even been started yet or lettering has not been started yet. So it's just like, man, I'm going to really have to hustle if that's what I'm going to want to do. 
Um, and I think it is what I want to do just because of time's sake. It's like, I need to do the Wanderers 3 Kickstarter. I need to do the Second Shift Volume 2 Kickstarter. And it's like, man, those got to be back to back. Everything has to be super tight because I want the Volume 2 in time for when we go to Emerald City. So it's just like, man, this is all... I'm really walking a tight tight rope with like all of my deadlines here. So it's like, you know, it's, it's make or break time. I really have to hustle and just kind of put as much in order as I can create graphics for the Kickstarter. And that has to become my priority pretty soon. Yeah. Well, that sounds like we might have uh, Kickstarters going at the same time because I was thinking about my release schedule as well. And we talked about on last week's uh, podcast how a Kadoja Kickstarter is coming soon for Symphony of Madness number one. And I was driving around and I was like, I had mentioned that I wanted to do it end of May. And then I was like, well, wait. The end of May, number one, we're in, number one, we are in Phoenix, Memorial Day weekend. Number two, it's Memorial Day weekend. Number three, my wife's birthday is shortly after Memorial Day weekend. So I don't want to think about a Kickstarter then. So I'm like, okay, well, let's like I'll wait a week and then do it too. Because Invader reshuffled our release schedule a little bit. So by me launching this Kickstarter, I'm not uh, taking anything away from an Invader book where I thought it was going to be. We pushed one of our book releases back a month. A book called Ferritalia, by the way. It'll be out, I think, in July or September or something. We'll solicit in July for September. So uh, so please keep an eye out for that. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, well, what's... What's the Monday after Memorial Day? June 6th. June 6th is the next Monday that happens after Memorial Day. Guess what time I'm launching the Kickstarter? When are you launching the Kickstarter, Keith? It's on June 6th. What time would I launch it? Um, Heavy six, metal fans know the answer. Yeah, six. Yeah, in the six o'clock. Yeah. And why is that? <laughs> because it would be six six six, Keith. Right. Get. Would you like to guess what the Kickstarter funding total is going to be, Scott? Six hundred and sixty-six dollars. It's going to be six hundred and sixty-six dollars. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have a good time with this. We're going to have a good time with this. So anyway, um, so yeah, uh, I, I was thinking about that. I was like, dude, it's too obvious to just do it on June sixth at six a.m. and then have the funding total be six hundred and sixty-six dollars. So anyway. <laughs> If Slayer can do it, I can do it because they did it with an album of theirs back in the 2000, uh, 2005 or something like that. Anyway, um, so yeah, we should get to my second thing. It's it's a light thing. I'm not even sure how much I want to talk about it, but I do think it's worth mentioning. I'm actually a week late in bringing this up, but to be a writer, to be a writer is to have, in my opinion, a lot of things in your writing pipeline. And I think this isn't, you know, this is something that's shared among all writers. All you have to do is consult, reconsult the Aubrey Sitterson podcast where he talks about what he's doing, right? Like if you listen back to the things that Aubrey was doing, he was about to letter a book or at least uh, get the final script ready for lettering. So he's well along the production pipeline there. But he also talked about working on projects and sketching out projects and having these ideas and talking to people kind of early in this project stage. So I have an idea very early in the project stage. And this is one of those cases where part of me wants, doesn't want to give the thing away. But honestly, this is so goddamn vague and I don't know which way it's going to go. It's pretty easy to talk about. So without getting into specifics, I have an idea involving time travel. And in talking about time travel, thinking about time travel, I was like, who do I, who do I talk about time travel with? 
And I was like, I'm probably, I'm tired of boring my wife, you know, like, <laughs> and, and I think this might be a little too high concept for Eden or, or rather it's something she may not think about a lot. Okay. So first I will tell you that the person that I hit up just on a whim was Gary Hodges. And I said, mm-hmm. Gary, how often do you think about time travel, man? I got like some conceptual time travel shit to talk to you about. He's like, I'm down. And he's like, Keith, I think about time travel every day of my life. <laughs> dude, you come to the right person. He, dude, I totally came to the right person. So Gary shouts, you know, like I, I thanked you when we were talking about it then. And I want to thank you again. And uh, but before I get to the idea, I think this is important as a writer to have those people that you can bounce ideas off like that, where you're not just boring your poor significant other yet again <laughs> with with conceptual conversations on stuff. Um, so anyway, the the main point is, if if you don't know some writers, it always it's always great to have a network of people that you can just reach out to with different questions. And um, and so that was lovely. Um, and then it ended up being an in-depth conversation on some ideas around the grandfather paradox. So the thing about time travel to know as as, um, as a storytelling device is that it is full of paradoxes, right? Things that, that are going to contradict each other. And the grandfather paradox, I'm going to try to get this right, I hope I don't screw it up, is that if in theory you decided you wanted to go back in time to kill your own grandfather, right? and you were successful, then by killing your own grandfather, you don't exist. So you wouldn't exist it. You wouldn't have existed to go back in time in the first place to kill your grandfather, right? So that's why it's a paradox. It's wrong, even though it's right throughout the process, right? Like it, it makes sense at every step, yet in the cosmic sense of it, it is incorrect. So does that make sense? It does. I think, I think when I think about that specifically... That is a new time that you are creating when you travel back into time. That's happening for you right then and there. So even though the timestamp is in the past, you are in your current time. It's not it's not the past for you. You're you're traveling to the past, but you are not from the past, therefore you still exist. Right. So right. until totally. until and then until you kill your grandfather, like I think then you would probably dissipate and no longer exist, but you were alive until the time that he was killed. So, so, so is, like, I understand very, very similar to what Gary and I were talking okay. about. Okay. <laughs> right. Yes. Cause like, I understand the paradox. The paradox makes sense unto itself, but I can see another time traveling instance where just as I laid it out. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing here. Here's what prompted this whole time travel story idea, which again, like, there's nothing to steal here because even by me talking about this, it doesn't really have shit to do with the time travel idea I have. It's It does involve the grandfather paradox because damn near everything in time travel involves the grandfather paradox. I've been on a little run of time travel novels, which has spurred on this um, really by accident. Um, but I, I am a sucker for time travel. It's one of my favorite things to think about. Um to paraphrase the essayist Chuck Klosterman, the coolest thing about time travel is that it's all theoretical. So the reads you're going to get from people are pure theory and they're not tainted by any real world thing. If you talk about a real world thing, then it's going to be tainted by people's beliefs or perhaps stakes in that real world thing, whatever it is, you know, but time travel is like pure theory. And, uh, and, and what started this was 
this idea of multiverses, right? Like multiverses are having a moment. Doctor Strange multiverse. Obviously, I've seen it twice. I, I think I love it. Um, there's the other movie that came out, what, a month ago or whatever, two months ago. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, the Michelle Yeoh movie. I, I don't know anything about it, so don't say anything about the movie. So, so multiverses are having a moment, okay? But the thing about multiverses to me is that multiverses... I think multiverses exist because they are the easiest way around the grandfather paradox. Basically that if, if Keith current world for some reason decides that I want to go back in time to kill my own grandfather, which is just about the stupidest fucking thing you'd ever conceive of doing, but they use it. You know, the, the easier thing that people always talk about is traveling back in time to kill the proverbial baby Hitler. Right. That's that's the standard thing that comes up in so many things or present JFK's assassination, which, you know, Stephen King turned into a novel and a bunch of other people have have explored um, ad infinitum. But, you know, there's this there's this multiverse thing, but it feels like that's the easiest cheese way around the grandfather paradox. Right. Like you go back in time, you successfully kill your grandfather. How could you have existed? Well, because when you killed your grandfather, you created dun, 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 an alternate timeline. And so now you have this idea of alternate timelines that people just are in love with. You know, um, again, they're they're really having a moment. These aren't the only movies that are talking about this. It just feels like that's a thing right now. But it's sort of like a double conceptual thing. You know, it's it's time travel itself is theoretical, guys. <laughs> you know, like like the the key to multiverses is really. I mean, don't I, I don't know. I'm sure there's some physicist out there, a theoretical physicist that's pulling their hair out right now. But it feels like a lot of this multiverse stuff stems from time travel type type concepts and is simply the easy writer way to deal with time travel concepts and create all these splintered timelines, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, it was a good conversation. And uh, hey, listeners, you just got a taste of it. You know, they actually talk about time travel in um, Endgame because, you know, me and my girlfriend were on a roll. We started watching, we watched all three Thor movies at the end of the yeah. third Thor movie. You know, Thanos' ship shows up right in front of him. And then I was like, yeah, and then remember this happens in Infinity War right at the beginning. She's like, what? And she had seen it. So I was like, yeah, let's just watch the beginning since the beginning of it has all of the Asgardians in it. And so we start watching, we end up watching the whole movie. And after that, I'm like, well, what else do you want to watch? She goes, well, we might as well just keep going. So we watched Endgame. There's a whole conversation where they're talking about time travel because of the um, uh, the multiverse, how you're, mm-hmm. like, changing your timeline or whatever. And it's it's so funny because they're like, wait a minute. Are you telling me Back to, Fu- Back to the Future was all bullshit? Like, because they're like, wait, if we do this, then this never happened and blah, blah, blah. So that's, like, the grandfather paradox, right? Yeah, and totally. And so... <laughs> and everyone's like, that's not how it works. They're like, you're, you're creating, you're in your own time. You're doing this. You're not, you're not part of the past. You just happen to be in the past. And then, so they're like, wait, what? Like, wait, so Terminator's wrong. They're, they're like, where'd you get this theory from? They're like, they're like Terminator, Terminator two, uh, yeah. you know, back to the future, hot tub time machine. They're just naming all these movies that's where right. you travel back in time and yes. they're all, yeah, it, it just doesn't work like that. You know, and that was their way of just kind of brushing it off and, and saying, like, look, this is how it works, but that's not how it works. And yeah. and it was good enough for me, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, it's simply their theory, right? And and that, again, to, to get back to the, the central theme, that's that's what Gary and I were talking about, right? Like, 
look, there's a fine line of realism when we're talking about this kind of thing. You know, like it, it reminds me of the God, I can't remember. I think Kyle Yount said it one time on the Kaiju cast. And uh, he was talking about something about how something in a Godzilla film was unbelievable, was, wasn't believable to him. And then the person was like, so you're fine with like giant impossible monsters, not not only existing, but fighting each other. But this thing took you out of it, <laughs> you know, I and had, uh, I, I, I think that I think, same experience. Yeah. Time time travel is the same way, right? Like it's it's kind of a believability thing. It's it's not important how time travel really works because it doesn't work. Right. Like we know this. It, it doesn't work yet, at least. And theoretically, if it doesn't work yet, it doesn't work ever because fucking time travel. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Like, like you you would make the argument that if it if it worked, then people would probably know throughout time. But I'm getting ahead of myself. But it goes down to believability. You know, just just because it's real doesn't make it believable. And this comes up in novels of a much more grounded nature. You know, even in terms not just time travel, not just giant monsters. People acting in a certain way, people talking a certain way, people doing a thing as a reaction. You know, it's not, it's, it doesn't matter what actually happened. It matters what the people believe could happen. And there are plenty of things that have happened in the real world that would not pass in a fucking novel. Because you could put it in a novel and people be like, that's not, that's not realistic. And it's like, but it really happened. That doesn't matter. Because it's not like the readers aren't going to go for it. You know, so anyway, I digress. With that, let's get to the main topic of the episode. And let's talk about what may or may not be the final part of the hardest part of making comics. So, uh, Scott, you can intro it here, but we are with part four of the hardest part of making comics because the responses have been so interesting. And uh, and we've just gotten such good feedback that it's been fun to talk about and uh, and see what everybody out there thinks is the hardest thing. All right. Well, um, so we got a bunch of stuff. I, I had... Entered onto the Twittersphere, and I said, hey, what's the hardest thing about making comics? So one of the first things that we got, uh, for today at least, is from at Puggle Pudge, Carpal Tunnel. That is <laughs> that is the worst thing that you can have if you are a creator, uh, whether it be an artist or a writer. Um, we have to write with our hands. We have to draw with our hands. I mean, I guess you could use a uh, talk to text or something like that, but I guess that would <laughs> be a little bit difficult. Um, but yeah, man, that's, Hey, uh, okay. So my mom has been a hairstylist ever since I was a little kid and I am 41 years old right now. And so she was doing it before I could remember. And she's still doing it to this very day. She does not have carpal tunnel. And I said, you know, no carpal tunnel, no arthritis. And I said, Mom, how, how have you been doing this profession, which requires you to use basically your hands for the last, like, 45 years? How are you doing this? How, how are your hands not messed up? And she said, I massage my hands every day. Every, every night when I get home, I massage my hands. And um, I thought that was amazing. I was like, wow, it's just such a simple thing to do. And it's something that none of us probably do in our daily life. We're on our phones constantly. We're on our keyboards, typewriters, whatever, drawing, you know. So something to think about. Uh, make sure you're massaging your hands as, as much as possible. Just, you know, it helps. It definitely helps. And um, it's the great equalizer. If you are uh, a famous creator that has carpal tunnel, unfortunately, is Sam Keith. Um, if you've ever seen Sam Keith draw at shows or just pictures of Sam Keith drawing, he has a giant, um, I don't know, like contraption around his pencil that he uses. It looks like, you know, it's like, it looks like a grip, but like, 
I don't know, the the width of a golf handle or something like that. He just kind of wraps it up to mm. have a nice comfortable grip on it. And and so it comes for us all, you know, if we don't make sure we're taking care of ourselves. So uh, all you creators out there that are using your hands, uh, make sure you're taking care of your hands. Give yourself yeah, a massage. Man. You have a significant other besides bouncing ideas off of them. See if they'll massage your hands for you. Yeah, yeah. Or, or again, in my case... Um, actually you can see me pinching this spot. Maybe it's like psychosomatic, but I have like kind of, um, upper shoulder neck things, um, from sitting around a keyboard and on a computer and like typing. I, I write a lot. And as a result, you end up with that hunched over thing. And, uh, yeah, man, I, got I, I get upper, upper shoulder neck problems. So yeah, preventative maintenance, massages, um, stretching, you know, I personally think I should stretch more and uh, maybe that'll help me. So, you know what? I think I'll stretch while we're talking. The world yeah, can't I th- see I think me. that's everyone yeah. should do. Everyone should definitely stretch more. Definitely a lot more self-care. You know, take some of that comic money that you uh, set aside for yourself every couple of weeks. Put a little bit of that aside for some self-care. Get some massages, something like that. And, uh, yeah, artists are... You know, I guess times are changing because of the different methods in which we can draw, you know, digital or physical. Um, so but a lot of times artists are hunched over a drawing board, you know, or yeah. hunched over a screen. So make sure you're sitting comfortably. I actually draw in my recliner a lot. So I think that helps. And uh, but, yeah, the massaging of the hands and wrists and stuff like that. I, I honestly need to do it more. But I, I do it in a, every every couple of weeks. I'll get that in. Yeah. Hey, who knew we were a health podcast? <laughs> yeah, that's right we are a beer basketball comics and health podcast so that's right. we're not basketball anymore because our teams don't exist in the <laughs> yeah, playoffs our, our, our teams are trash yeah um hey keith we're known as a triple threat <laughs> <laughs> we talk basketball beer and comic books and health we're and, a quadruple threat that's have right. you ever seen have you ever seen the uh the muppets movie the one from like 10 years ago one with jason uh um yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, doesn't doesn't Danny Trejo have the great line in the prison where he says, "I'm a triple threat. I'm a singer, dancer, and murderer." <laughs> yes, I died, much like Danny Trejo's victims. I died when he said yes. that. Oh, so I love good. that line. Yeah. All right. So the next one is from Mateus Bergara, and Mateus Bergara is actually the artist from Step by Buddy Step. Step by Buddy Step. Hello. Um, that's easy for me to say. Getting a decent pay and Oof. coming. And coming from such a uh, an amazing artist, that's crazy to hear. So, um, but you know, don't we know it here in the comics world? So, yeah. you know, you're in the upper echelon. You're getting a decent pay rate. So, uh, but the further down you get, the more you're struggling. I'd imagine he's not talking about you know his time on this Im- image title. I don't know that for a fact, but Image Comics is usually a creator own aspect. You know, mm-hmm. so. Um, uh, you know, I'm sure he's doing a okay there, at, like as the royalties are coming in. But yeah. yeah, like if you're working for other companies, it can be very difficult, especially if you're up and coming. Just getting a decent page rate is is very difficult because you're usually de- dealing with people that are self funding the project. Yeah. Um, these smaller companies, they're not paying quite as much as they should, and sometimes you just got to take it because you're trying to you know make ends meet. Yeah, absolutely, man. Again, it's. It's a thing. I mean, it goes back to something I, I've said before in terms of being a writer, a writer who pays artists. If you're a writer out there and you're not paying your artists, I think you're doing something wrong. 
You know, unless this is someone that you're going in 50-50 on a brand new collaboration project, and we actually mean collaboration. We don't mean you giving them orders and hoping they'll do work for free. So if it's a collaboration and it's two people doing something awesome, that's different. But if you're a writer that's looking to hire somebody to execute your vision, um, you should you should be paying them, man. That's that's how this works. Yep, absolutely. So we haven't I don't, I don't have any information for Mateus. I mean, he knows. <laughs> so you, uh, you know, you just do the best work you can. And hopefully your page rate is something that people will pay. And yeah. uh you know, go from there. So feels like there's a little baked into that comment and I can't read what the baking ingredients are. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. We'll just leave it there. Um, yeah. and thank you for responding Matthias. We yeah, appreciate man, that it. That was awesome. Um, okay. And this is from Corrine Halbert pushing through the fear. Hmm. And it just says pushing through the fear, pushing through the fear. So how do you interpret that? Well, my response was, I stared in the abyss that is the blank white page. Then I felt it stare back. <laughs> so I drew on it. <laughs> That's pretty great. That's I might have been great. drinking that day. Who knows? I um, mean, then drink every day. That or was, I might have just excellent. been I might have just been punchy from answer, answering so many Twitter <laughs> <laughs> Twitter responses. <laughs> well, that's a that's a fantastic response if you were punchy. Yeah, yeah, that's good. When I'm punchy, I'm nowhere near that clever. Yeah. Um, so, hey, I get the fear. Um, there's there's many fears when it comes to making comics. Like, okay, I'm starting out at zero pages. I have 22 pages to go. That's a lot of fucking pages to do when you're starting on page one. It's very daunting. Um, but, you know, like I've said, try that one panel. Just think about the one panel. Don't think about the 22 pages. If you're thinking about making your money, like maybe you invested a lot into the comic. Maybe you're, you know, you're funding the whole thing and financially... The fear of not getting that money back. Yeah, comics is, it's a scary business. It's like, you know, you're putting a lot of eggs into one basket and, you know, we don't know what the return is going to be. How is the comic going to be received? Like, how many conventions are you doing? Are you, do you have a publisher? Are you trying to find a publisher? There's so many fears that come into making comics. So I don't know what uh, uh, Kareen was speaking of specifically, but uh, for me on the artist end of it is the that blank page. So you know, don't, don't blink, you know, don't flinch when it's staring at you. Like just get into it, draw on it. And it's no longer a blank page. Can I ask you a question though? Let, uh, yes. So Kareen's question answer may not have been specific, but I would like ours to be, what is your biggest fear in making comics? That's a good question. Um, you know, I think at one point was, was the fact that like I'm starting at page one every time like like comics is it it's it's messed up in the sense that you're doing something for so long and as soon as you complete it you start all over again you start back at zero every single time you finish an issue and that can be very scary for people it was scary for me like I I was like I don't know how much I can do this and this is something that um, I've talked to with um, Death, a constant mention on the podcast, Accidental Alien Member Death. Um, you know, it, it's it's tough like to get these books done, but the more you do it, the quicker you get at it. And 
the like as difficult as it is to draw interior pages, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. It's obviously not a cakewalk, but it's not as difficult as it used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, think of it as like you learning a foreign language or learning a new musical instrument, like p- basically learning any task that you've never done before that is difficult. That same feeling you get, that's how it used to feel every time I drew a new issue. And it was like, do I want to keep doing this? And But I'm at a point now where I don't feel that way. Because I've learned to compartmentalize what I need to do to create the comic book. I I don't look at the overall thing as not being finished yet. It's just like that one panel that I need to do today. And then if I do more than that, hey, I'm ahead. Uh, I'm ahead than I, you know, like compared to where I was the day before. So like, that's just how I think about it. It helps me push forward. And just the excitement of creating these comics in general has gotten me out of that specific fear. So... Um, honestly, I, I don't have an answer as to what my biggest fear now is. Uh, what is yours? Um, it's no one reading the book, man. Like to me, that's, I mean, I suppose that might be, I mean, is this what we call imposter syndrome? I don't think we like is imposter syndrome that it's bad. (laughs) You know, like, like that's maybe that's imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is you are pretending to be a writer. You are okay. pretending to be an artist. You're not good enough to do this. Yeah. You, you're you pretending that you're good enough to do this, but you're not really. Like, yeah. what you're producing isn't worth people's time of day. That's, okay. gotcha. that's imposter syndrome. Yeah, I mean, so in my case, that's probably my biggest fear, that the book isn't selling, which is probably, you know, like, I feel pretty good about what I'm doing. And we've talked about this before, that that comes with getting people giving you objective feedback. You know, like I'm part of Invader Comics and I earned my way onto that roster. I earned my way onto that roster by making a comic that, number one, the company wanted when I wasn't part of it. And number two, I then ended up being part of the company because my contributions were valuable. So, you know, and in terms of the novel, I get workshopped all the time. You know, I'm the kind of person that always wants to fix the imperfection and imperfections instead of taking that moment to just appreciate how many things you got right. So for me, it's really more that you're going to make this thing and, you know, field of dreams, no one will come. Um, But I mean, you can't let that stop you either. You know, like that's the thing I, I, you know, it's, it's okay to have fear. It's okay to be afraid of stuff because that means you're alive. Like that means you are concerned about your product. You know, you're concerned about being better. You know, you can be better. And Here's the thing, no matter how many pieces of pop culture we make, you always think the next one's better. You know, like Ruckus, the bassist for Big Pimp Jones, we always used to make this joke um, where where we'd make the new album and then we'd listen to the new album and then you listen to the new album and the first thing you think is, man, that last album was bullshit. <laughs> you know? And it's like, that's what you want. You want you want to always feel like this new thing is so much better than the last thing. And yeah, it's a fear, man. It's a fear that, that no one's going to buy the book, but you know, you address fears, you know, you don't run from them, you address them. And uh, so for me, it's about, yes, it's my biggest fear. There's an awareness of that fear and you just get out there, put your stuff out. You believe in yourself and you just hope that you're going to win over one fan at a time, you know, and, uh, and you just keep grinding from there and, you know, that's the best thing I can say. Like, like fear is one thing. Fear taking you over is another entirely. A little bit of fear is healthy. A lot of fear is unhealthy. 
and 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 it can go the other way too um uh, being too confident can be too much like uh i think where you are mentally is a great place like where you're like i'm pretty confident in what i'm doing like i you know like you believe in what you're doing but you're not like dude i'm the fucking best what the fuck are you talking about like (laughs) there's Khaled, (laughs) another one um so i think that's a perfect place to be you know what's interesting was i've always felt very confident in my art but then I got to a place where people were like, yeah, I think you might need to, you know, look into this or into that. And I'm like, wait, what are they talking about? And like, I'll look back at my older stuff and I'm like, oh, yeah, they totally knew what they were talking about. But yeah. what that led to was putting a little self-doubt into me as to what I'm doing and which made me choose to take, you know, like life drawing classes, like design classes, like watching videos online, constantly improving, seeing how someone drew it compared to how I would draw it. And just like having that self-reflection is very important. Um, Cause when you get, you know, too ahead of your skis, like you're just like, I don't know, it's too much. Like you really mm-hmm. need to pay attention to what you're doing, what you're putting out there and like yeah. your, the craft itself. So, yeah. um, and like, I got to a point where I didn't believe anything I was doing was good, but that like, I felt that the more and more I listened to artist interviews, like some of my favorite artists were so filled with self doubt and just like very humble, but almost like cripplingly humble Mm -hmm. in which I didn't care for. I'm like, well, you're unfortunately now you're kind of putting that into me. Like I've listened to so many of my favorite artists feel like they weren't good enough like, and it was driving me insane, but I was like, well, if they don't think they're good enough, there's no way that I'm any good because mm-hmm. they're leaps and bounds above what I can do. And, and honestly, like I've gotten away from that because I don't feel like it's very healthy. Mm-hmm. Like as, as a person, like, I don't feel like that's healthy behavior. Like you should be able to enjoy what you're doing and not feel like a piece of shit. Like yeah. you shouldn't just because you do something and you find it to be very good or you think it's awesome, it doesn't make you a bad person. So, like, a lot of these artists that are, that are out there and, like, having these interviews and going, like, ah, you know, it's it's only okay, and, and it's just, like, please stop it. Because mm-hmm. I don't I don't know that you really do believe that, and if you do really believe that, you should you should really take a look at other people's work and realize, hey, I'm, I'm at least as good as these other guys. You don't have right. to feel like you're better than them, but at least feel you're on par with them. Like, know mm-hmm. your skill set. Like, I... I always feel like I'm reasonable at at taking in how good or how bad I am at something. And, um, you know, it can be difficult, but a lot of self-reflection helps. And mm-hmm. so I think where you are mentally is a perfect place to be. I feel like I'm in that same area. Like, I'm very... I'm very happy with the books that I'm producing now and I can see the things that I have improved on because of the information that I've taken in over the years by listening to other artists talk about craft specifically, not what they think of their own work, but like what they think about craft and how you improve your art. And I did this to improve and I was doing these certain things and that helped a lot. Like that's the stuff that I want to hear in artist interviews. It's like, look, I wasn't good before, but I am better now because I learned these tricks, these, you know, these methods. And, mm-hmm. and that's, what's important when you're creating craft. And and that's what we try to do here. We try to yeah. fill you guys full of good information. Don't get too down on yourselves. Don't be too high on yourselves. Always know that there's room for improvement in your work. Yeah, exactly. Always. Art devil three, one, three tie between hustling to get the gig and actually drawing the pages 
Actually, I forgot about the extremely low pay. That's the hardest part. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so we, we did have a low pay comment before. And and this is where it's tricky, right? In this very we, episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like right before, like just now. Rewind a little bit. And, and again, so for me, anytime I hear low pay, because I don't know the individual situation, I, I'm just mentally going back to Aubrey Sitterson's thing. You know, like there's there's really some good stuff when I re-listen to Aubrey's episode on how he talks about pay. And, you know, if you're getting paid low working for one of the big two and your page rate's not good, then, you know, maybe that's a conversation to have individually. If we're talking about the low pay of making an indie book, that's where it goes back to the idea of the more you own, the less you're probably going to make up front. The less you own, the more you're going to make up front. So, you know, without knowing the greater context of that, it's tough for me to address it because right now I'm just reverting back to that fantastic answer by Aubrey where he laid it out and the continuum of, of how that works. Um, yeah, I mean, pay, the pay is the pay, and it's not great, and, and I don't I don't have much for you there. Um, as far as the tie between hustling to get the gig and actually drawing the pages, yeah, um, I can see that being difficult. Um, there is obviously plenty of groups on Facebook. There's a bunch of writers out there looking for artists, but who knows what their page rate is. That might tie right into the low pay. Um, unfortunately, comics will break your heart. That is something I've said on this podcast, and it's something well well mentioned throughout the comic scene is, yeah, if you're looking to get paid to do work, comics, like like get paid well, I should say, to do work, comics probably isn't the place for you. Like you can easily get storyboarding gigs, um, other things. There's other avenues of art that you can go down that you would get paid way better to do. Unfortunately, we all love comic books. We're addicted to comics. And so we want to create comic books. Um, luckily Keith and I, we have our own IP that we prefer to work on. So I've never been an artist that wanted to work for someone else. I've always been an artist who wanted to just draw their own shit. That's something I heard Stan Lee say is like, why do you guys want to play with my toys? Why don't you create your own? And Mm -hmm. I've always followed that. That's something I've always believed in, um, ever since I was a little kid. Yeah. I mean, I, I think now that like thinking about the question, I'm going to paraphrase it and turn it into something else. Comics aren't the only thing that'll break your heart. Creative fields are all like this, okay? So again, it's it's tough to glean context. But if what we're talking about, you know, like I'm just going to put these three things together, right? Hustling to get the gig, drawing the pages, and then the low pay. That, that gives me the hunch that this person is a freelance creator who's working on indie books. You know, like that's, I'm just going to take a stab at that. And if that's the case, then... Comics operate like a lot of other industries in that the people that are making the most are making an astronomical amount. And the people down at the indie level level are making dribs and drabs. That is true for comics. It's true for books. It is true for music. The people at the bottom want to be the people at the top. That's how this works. Though that's the common theme among all these things. The people that are hustling and grinding on the daily, you know, down in the indie waters, they want to be those people that are making money hand over fist doing it. But, you know, it's a process to get there. And, you know, there's a lot of competition down here and, and at every level to continue to get better and better. And that's, you know, there is, I suppose, a brass ring at the absolute tippy top. But, uh, boy, there aren't that many people doing it. And in the meantime, 
it's just what you got to do to keep on building a portfolio and doing what you do, you know, and if, and if you love it, then you'll stay with it. Yep, absolutely. All right, man, I think that's it, huh? Did we, did we do it? Is that, is that a good stopping point? World's best cup of coffee. World's best cup of coffee. Do we have any more? Do we, are we going to do a part five of this or is this it? Are we finally, we have more. There's more. Shit. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess we won't throw the ring in Mount Doom until next time. So, uh, hey, you got any bullshit to bring? Well, I have been buying books like crazy. I went to yeah. <laughs> I went you to SoCal it. Comics. So we actually forgot our free comic book day comics at SoCal Comics. Luckily, I called um, the Monday uh, afterwards and said because they're closed on Sunday. I said, "Hey, me and Keith forgot our free comic books inside." Dennis had them. Hey, do you know where they are? They found them. They put them in my pull list. So I, I was able to pick those up and I got my my pulls for this week. And again, I was dipping into the back issues uh, of a title. I'm not going to say because I'm still collecting it. And if you are in San Diego, I don't want you going over there and snaking the rest of them from me. So um, slowly but surely, there's an old title that I have been revisiting and uh, hadn't had the complete set of ever since I was a little kid. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to pick these up one by one. And the last couple of weeks, man, they've had some really low priced like issues that are very expensive. Like I was like, do they know this is a 60, 75, 200, like depending on the condition, $250 book. I got it for $5. Whoa. Yeah. I'll tell you off the air what they are. But there was like, there was like one that was like goes for around two fifty, one sixty five, one forty five. I got them for five bucks a piece. Oof. So yeah, so I'm just like, wow, this is wild. So been collecting those on the sly and uh, just trying to look for other things. And um, yeah, it was something I mentioned to you. I'm doing a reread of Kadoja because yeah. I realized I had not uh, caught up on my volume. So like, it's been so long since I read the first trade. I'm re rereading them. So that's nice. been fun to do. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so I had like one bullshit thing, which you already got a sneak preview of last night when I was at the concert, which is I've been going to concerts for a really long time, man. So I've been going to concerts in one way or another for 40 years, although dating back to 1979 doesn't really count in a way because I really started going to concerts more fully in like 1986, you know, so, so let's just go with 35 plus years of concerts. Okay. I've never quite had the experience I had last night with a band. They're going to remain unnamed, even though some very astute metalheads might be able to guess them. I don't know, but uh, I'm going to try to keep this light because I don't want to name them. I don't think that's, that's right, but it is worth mentioning because it really, it like took me out, you know, something we've, we've talked about a little bit here in, in different contexts, obviously. And in a lengthy conversation, which we probably deleted from this very episode. So for those for those of you on the Patreon, <laughs> here we go. One that more, doesn't exist. One more. It doesn't exist. Uh, someday we'll do it and we'll throw all these garbage ass conversations that we just put in the dumpster uh, in there. But uh, so I go to see this band and the best way to describe this band band is like a lot of extreme metal bands. They have two vocal styles, okay? This is this is not unusual. There are plenty of bands out there that sort of do a screechy or a growly style, and then they will do a melodic style. 
So depending on the type of subgenre, you may have kind of like a bah, 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 and then you'll have people just singing real cool, like Iron Maiden or something like that. And this is a band where they have two distinct styles. They kind of have a right. And then they also have a really melodic, you know, kind of thing that they do. OK, so they take the stage and they play this song that's, um, you know, new. And I'm waiting for it. And all of a sudden, a couple minutes in, I realize that, like, it's not the tissue I stuff in my ears that's making me hear this funny. It's not anything. This is a song that was generally 80 to 90 percent melodic. And this time it's all. They basically redid the vocals in death metal style. And so for me, it did take me out because. I mean, I w- I've been trying to figure out how how to phrase this, okay? And so because my family is four BTS fans, you know, they didn't get it. And I know they have one song that, you know, I can't get out of, like, it's everywhere. I'm sure if I walk from here to, like, my bathroom, there's going to be a magic PA system that shows up and plays Dynamite <laughs> by BTS somehow, you know? <laughs> that was so, the song that I thought it was. I was like, yeah, hey, yeah. Talk about like, Dynamite. You, you, can't, you can't escape. I, for one, welcome our new Dynamite overlords, right? But, um but like the example I gave is you're like almost everybody on the planet knows how this goddamn song goes. Imagine if they didn't sing it and they just rapped the whole thing. Okay. You'd feel gypped because to hear that cadence would be weird, you know, to use a song that a lot of people all also probably know. Imagine if a death metal band covered Enter Sandman, except it was Metallica, right? Imagine seeing Metallica and all of a sudden you you get to Enter Sandman. And it's like, say your prayers, little one, don't forget my son. And you're like, what the fuck is this? You know, like, is is it is it cool in and of itself? Sort of, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know. That seems kind of cool in itself. But I hear what you're saying. You showed up for the classic. I, I, I show I showed up for for the skill that makes them different from a lot of other death metal bands. And what I got was every other death metal band for reasons I can't understand. So I have theories on it, but. Ah, that's for me to talk about over more beers someday. But yeah, the whole thing was, it made me feel weird. I still feel kind of weird about it. And I'm a little bummed because I was really excited to see and hear those things as they existed, as opposed to what I believe is a pretty dramatic rewrite of it, you know, like to, to take away um, most of the melody and then just replace it with death metal vocals, it makes you it makes you a different band than the band I thought we were signing up for here. You know? So anyway, I don't I still don't know how I feel about it. I mean, I feel a little weird about it. And in fact, uh, ever since I got out of that show and all day today, I have gone back and just played the original versions whenever I can because I don't want that show to taint my memory of these songs, <laughs> you know? And and it's like, you know, please like it's weird. It's weird because the band themselves ruined the image that I have of the songs. Like you did it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I didn't I didn't have someone else ruin this this mental image of the song for me like you did it by performing it yourselves. <laughs> so anyway, really. that's how I feel when I watch uh, Star Wars special editions. <laughs> <laughs> you ruined it. You ruined it yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh good. Yeah, you you we'll, ruined it. We'll leave it there. 
Yeah, you ruined it on your own. You ruined it on your own. Um, all right, man. So you can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore decibel. I am posting stuff about, I don't know, comics, quotes, you know, all kinds of fun stuff, some art um, and some other things, pictures, etc. cetera. Uh, so if you want to get down with the Keith thing, please hit me at uh, Keith underscore invader. And then um, you can also follow me at Kadoji Kaiju. That is all one word. And that is giant monster stuff on Instagram. And you can follow me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. I post art and uh, random things. I think I just posted some uh, free comic books day stuff up there. I should be posting more uh, art for Wanderers as I do the Zipatones. I like to incorporate all three, the pencils, digital inks, and then the Zipatones on top of that when I do the post. So look out for those. Those should be uh, on my feed as you uh, listen to this pod. Nice. So for websites, you can find me. Everything you need for me is at KeithRFoster.com. I have a slightly renovated web store. I have an updated page on three protectors where I put some of the videos that we did during the Kickstarter up in terms of some process things. There's a page on Kadoja. And of course, there are blog posts uh, that link to uh, a lot of the articles, if not all of the articles I've done for iHorror.com. So KeithRFoster.com. Three protectors is Kung Fu, but interplanetary coming very very soon like within a week or two and kadoja is giant monsters meet hp lovecraft and you could find my books second shift the tale of minimum wage workers during the day and superheroes at night and wanders of melisanda anthropomorphic dinosaurs versus humans at accidentalaliens.com uh, i also have accidental alien anthology 2000 17, 18, and 19 up there. 2017 is just digital, but you can get physical copies of 18 and 19 still. We are running low on those. So those will be out of print just like 2017, and then they just become a memory. They become a book in your collection. A lot of first appearances happen in those books, so make sure you pick those up, um, as well as Tales from the Mothership, another short story I have in there as well. Yeah, man. So for podcasts, um, there's a couple ways that you can rate us, and we love both of them. You can go to uh, Apple Podcasts and hit us up with five stars, ideally, and also some words. That is the absolute best thing you can do for us. Arguably, I think that's free, right? The best free thing you can do for us is go to Apple Podcasts or go to Spotify. Give us five stars. Give us some words if if you're feeling generous. And uh, and yeah, help help us conquer the algorithm gods. We will own them. It's all part of the collective plan we have for world domination. It starts with you showing the algorithms who's boss by giving us five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That's all true. And if you haven't given us words on there and you want to give us words first through an email, you can hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up. Questions, comments, concerns, subject matter that you want us to talk about, something we've talked about briefly and didn't touch base enough on for you, uh, let us know there. And then, uh, like Keith said, go to the Apple Podcast or Spotify or whatever. Leave us some words. Leave us some uh, star reviews. And uh, we'll be very happy. Yeah, man. I mean, that's it. We did it. Another week in the books. Uh, wow. Four four parts in of the hardest part of making comics. And I'm not bored yet. Like, there's there's really cool shit in all these questions. And I think they're hopefully creating some... And they are creating some interesting things to talk about. So very cool. And uh, hey, one last thing. This weekend party, people. Phoenix. Making comics is there. Scott Lost is there. 
Keith Foster is there. We're gonna roll into Phoenix, and we're gonna smash Phoenix on its face, and we're gonna sell you a bunch of independent comics. And Gary Hodges will be there too. And Gary Hodges will be there too. It's it's amazing. So come out, man. If you're near Phoenix, in Phoenix, around Phoenix, in in outer space and can somehow land your spaceship around Phoenix and get to the show, please do, man. Phoenix Fan Fusion, happening Memorial Day weekend. Find us and uh, and come kick it with us too. That's, that's it. it. That's, we did it. That's what we, we want. Made it. One more podcast in the books, brother. See you next week. Yeah, yeah.